So from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them, and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given, to one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of the one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one, just as he determines. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptised by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. We were all given the one Spirit to drink. Even so, the one body, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honourable, we treat, we treat with special honour. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honour to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for one another. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ. Each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. Well, hello, Uni Church. It's great to see you again. It's great to be with you again. My name is Evan. I am the senior pastor of all of St. Matthew's. 
uh, not just Uni Church. So it's great to be able to come and share in God's Word with you today, and particularly to talk about our life together as a church and what that means. Uh, so let me just very quickly lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that we could come together today, and we thank you that whether we've been at Uni Church for a long time or a short time, Lord, we thank you that we can gather under your word tonight and that we can listen. And we pray, Lord, that you would give us understanding of what you have written here for us, an understanding that is bigger than just our minds, but reaches deep into our hearts and souls, so that we might not just understand you, Lord, but that we might live for you with each and every breath. Amen. Now, if I say to you the word church, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Uh, Perhaps for some of you, you're thinking of cathedral-like stone buildings full of stained glass windows with the light streaming in. Uh, Others of you might think of uh, special people wearing special robes, standing up the front saying special words. Uh, Others of you might be thinking of an event, an experience full of excitement and energy and enthusiasm, a feast for the senses. Uh, And many of you will think in much more relational terms. Many of you will think of, well, no, uh, a community of a group of people, of fellowship and of friendship and even of family. The closeness that comes in a church where people call each other brother and sister, for we are brothers and sisters of the same Heavenly Father. And I do hope you think in that last way, because... Uh, the Bible never, in no place in the Bible does God describe the church as a building, uh, nor does he describe it as a special ceremony or an experience, but the Bible does describe the church as a family, as a group of people gathered together by the same Heavenly Father. But even more profound than that is 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Even deeper and closer than that is 1 Corinthians of what could be deeper than family, what sort of a relationship could be more profound than family? And the answer in 1 Corinthians 12 is that the Apostle Paul describes the church as a body, as one body with hands and feet and eyes and nose and and mouth, and that our closeness is so deep and so fundamental, it's like the very closeness of your own, the different parts of your own body. Paul explains what it means that the Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit has knitted us together to become one body. And that's what I want to talk to you about tonight. And so I want to share with you three things. Firstly, I want to share with you the gift that the Holy Spirit gives to all believers. And secondly, I want to share about the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to all believers. And then lastly, I want to share with you about the purpose of the gifts And then I really want to spend just a little bit of time being as practical as I possibly can with you as we think about what kinds of things can't we do in light of what this has been been teaching us. And I think it's kind of all going to hopefully come up on the screen as we we go along. Firstly then, the the gift to all believers. Come to to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Where are we? There we are. Come to, to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 1. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when we were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. 
And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul does not want us to be ignorant like we once were. Paul wants us to know that there is a gift that the Holy Spirit gives to every single believer in the Lord Jesus. That anyone who's put their faith in him has this one gift, and that is, the one foundational gift is, it makes it genuinely possible for us to say, Jesus is Lord. No one can do that except by the Holy Spirit. No one can do that unless the Holy Spirit has come into your life and made his home inside you. And of course, he also makes it genuinely impossible to speak against the Lord Jesus Christ, to to say Jesus is cursed. Uh, We're not just talking here about, of course, just being able to utter the words, but to actually mean it. Someone with the Spirit of God is never able to curse the name of Jesus. In other words, the Lordship of Jesus is not a human discovery. There is no one who's just kind of woken up in the morning and suddenly decided, I know what, I think Jesus might be the King of the universe. It's only ever revealed to you by the Holy Spirit. And so if you think that Jesus is Lord, it's not because you've discovered it on your own. It is a wonderful grace and mercy of God that he has sent his spirit in your life to show you the greatest and most precious truth in our reality, that Jesus Christ rules and will rule forever. But this also means something else, and I want you to kind of take this away. In fact, if you remember nothing else from my sermon, remember this. If anyone comes to you in life and suggests to you that you do not have God's Holy Spirit, or that you need some other experience of the Spirit to come into your life, I want you to remember 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3, that no one except by God's Spirit can say Jesus is Lord. And that if you've put your faith in Him, you can be sure that you have the Holy Spirit and that no one can ever take it away. It's very important that you know that. That's the one gift that the Spirit gives to all believers. But secondly then, there are also gifts that the Holy Spirit gives. Oh, I'm back. I've gone too far. There is gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to all believers. Uh, Different gifts. And this time, they're not in common. This time, they're very different. So have a look at verse 4. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. See, having received that first foundational gift of being able to call Jesus Lord and mean it, And so now have the Holy Spirit as part of our life under the Lordship of Jesus. That very same Spirit also does something else wonderful. That same Spirit gives us gifts, different gifts, a whole multitude of gifts, different gifts residing in different people. And he gives us those gifts so that we might give ourselves to the church in different ways, in the different ways that our church needs it. So you you sort of see it there in in verse 4 and 5 and 6. 
uh, where it talks about gifts and service and, and working and, you know, ministries. It's all, really, Paul is collecting all the different words that were used to describe the way that in a church we serve one another in love. Seeing to the needs of our church and to each individual in it. Uh, Paul then in verses 8 to 10, he even actually goes on to kind of list what many of those gifts are, although I don't think he's being exhaustive there. In fact, you can find uh, other lists in uh, Romans chapter 12 and also in Ephesians chapter 4, but even if you kind of added them all together, I don't think they're meant to be exhaustive. Uh, There are many, many gifts that the Spirit gives. The point that Paul is making is much simpler, and that is we all serve. We all serve, but we do it in different ways. We all bring different things to the table. But the purpose of all of the gifts is the same in verse 7. The purpose of all of the gifts is the common good. It's the idea that the church be built up and be strengthened and be, uh, be healthy and strong. It's that everyone is cared for, that everyone is looked after. A demonstration of the Spirit is given to each person to produce what is beneficial to the the profit of the whole church. It's a wonderful picture in so many ways. But I think I just kind of need to stop for just a little moment before we dig into that a little further and just mention a few things that it doesn't say, just in case we we misunderstand what Paul is saying to us. Uh, First of all, he does never say in this passage that all gifts are given to one person in particular. Uh, So there's no mention here somehow that somehow the pastor of our church is going to be the one who's going to be good at absolutely everything and have have gifts in all sorts of different areas. Uh, Our leaders in our churches, our our pastors, our our preachers, they do have specific gifts. They have gifts in in teaching the Bible. They have gifts in leadership. Uh, But they don't have gifts in lots of other areas. There are very, very good reasons why they keep me away from the guitar while we sing. Very important reasons why I mustn't be allowed over in that corner of of the church. Uh, Because I don't have all all of the gifts. Uh, uh, Jeff, uh, well, I haven't worked out which gifts he hasn't got yet, but eventually I'll work it out, you know. Uh, But he hasn't got all the gifts either. There's no special person in the church that has everything. And in fact, a church that expects their pastor to do everything is actually a spiritually impoverished church because it's missing out on all the wonderful gifts that each and every member has and that the whole church needs in order that it might be healthy and strong and flourish. But another false assumption, I think, is to think that somehow a spiritual gift, it it couldn't be something that I was already good at before I became a Christian. That somehow a spiritual gift has to be something that's kind of beamed down by God into my brain and into my body the very moment I became a Christian. You know, kind of downloaded Matrix style, if you'll forgive a, a reference to a movie that's now 20 years old and is making me feel extremely old. No, I, I think actually uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul, is a great example Uh, The Apostle Paul, before he became a Christian, had uh, all this wonderful training in public speaking, all this wonderful training in in even theology. How is he using those wonderful gifts? To destroy the church and those who followed Jesus. And then he met Jesus on the Damascus Road. And his life 
like so many others, was transformed by the risen Lord Jesus. And now all those wonderful gifts that he had were transformed along with it. And from then on, those wonderful gifts were used to build up the church and to grow the church and to expand the church massively. Another good example of this is is music. Many a musician has kind of learnt their craft, learnt their trade long before they came to know the Lord Jesus. But when they did come to know the Lord Jesus, suddenly those skills and abilities were transformed into something that could be wonderfully used to do this incredible work of building up the church. Uh, Music is another good example, actually, that a lot of the spiritual gifts are pretty ordinary when you think about it. They're a long way from what one might call supernatural. Uh, Music is... A very ordinary, if wonderful, thing. But some of the other gifts are are things like showing hospitality or administration. You don't get more ordinary than the gift of administration. And yet, let me tell you, as someone who runs a a church, it's very important. It's incredibly important in the operation of, of our church. And so it does mean that our gifts are things that we can work on and get better at. Our gifts are things that we can develop. In fact, improving our gifts is often helped by the wise counsel of other Christians who are older than us and more experienced than us. Uh, Our abilities often get better as they they are forged in the fire of of loving critique. Uh, Preaching is is one of those examples. You know, I've been preaching for a long time now. Hopefully I can produce a decent sermon or two. But count yourself very blessed that you weren't around for the early days while I was learning things, while I was beginning it all. But it also means that actually sometimes our gifts are independent of our confidence or how we feel about our capacity to do that gift as well. Our spiritual gifts can be independent of our feelings of competence. Sometimes the spiritual gift is actually success in an endeavour despite the fact that we don't feel adequate at all, despite the fact that actually we feel wholly inadequate to the tasks that God has put before us. And yet when we put our hand to the task, God blesses the work. God produces the fruit. God uses us. That's a gift. When God uses us despite how we feel about our abilities. And so likewise, we might also perceive ourselves to kind of have a gift in an area, but perhaps we ought to ask, well, is God really using me in that way? What's the fruit of that ministry? What's the the benefit for the church that I can see by this thing that I'm doing? Are there results? I say this because many years ago I I met a man who called himself an evangelist. And he was a a very clever speaker, far cleverer than I. He had a, a full arsenal of apologetic answers ready to be deployed at a moment's notice. And I got to meet him, I considered it a great honor. And seeking to be encouraged by his ministry, I asked him a very simple question. I said, can you tell me any stories of the people who've become Christian under your ministry in the last 12 months? And he couldn't give me any names. And I thought, oh, well, maybe he's had a dry year. What about the year before? And he couldn't give me any names from the year before either. And I began to wonder whether he truly understood what an evangelist is. Uh, On the other hand, I know a friend of mine who still will not let me call him an evangelist, and yet for the three years that I was his pastor, I don't think a week went by where he didn't bring a new person to church who was eager and keen to hear more about 
the Lord Jesus Christ and what the Lord Jesus has done for them. In fact, I asked him how he did it one day. I said, how do you, how do, you do it, Dan? How do you actually kind of manage this? And he said, it's, it's really simple, Evan. You could do this. You could do this. He said, what I do is when I'm going to uni, I get on the bus and I pray that God would give me someone to talk to and then I sit down to the, next to the first person on the bus, whoever they are, and I turn to them and I say, did you know that without Jesus, you're going to hell? <laughs> And I, and I said, are you sure that's how you... And he said, no, that's word for word what I do every single day. And I thought to myself, if I tried that, they would fling me from the bus. I wouldn't get it. But without a day didn't go by that that man did not get a chance to share the gospel of Jesus with someone on the bus on the way to uni. If that's not a gift, I don't know what is. And now he's using it wonderfully in one of those countries that I can't tell you about because if they knew what he was doing, they'd arrest him or they'd at least escort him to the border. But he's using his gift wonderfully for the building up of the church. Now, we do need to be wary about jumping to conclusions about spiritual gifts. We do need to be wary, I think, about letting our experience or even the experience of another church shape our understanding of spiritual gifts and what they mean, rather than letting God's word shape our understanding of spiritual gifts and, and shape our understanding of our own experience as well. And so Paul is quite clear what's important, that we realise that everyone has a gift, a different gift given to us by the Holy Spirit so that we might serve the church and build her up. Not every contribution will be the same, but everyone has a contribution to make. And so therefore I take it that actually the most important question is not kind of what is my gift, it's not an unimportant thing to ask and I know that that's something that especially when you're young, it's something that you're searching for and trying to work out. But in many ways, I take it that asking that question as important as it is, isn't the most important thing. But what's more important is asking, well, where is the need? Where are the places where I could serve my church? Where are the places where there is an opportunity to build up and to strengthen this body of which I am a part? And once you know the needs, once you see the needs... And once you involve yourself in the life of church, as you involve yourself here, I hope at Uni Church, serving this body, then I'm sure God will make it clear where you have gifts and where you can build up his church. But thirdly then, what's the, what's the purpose of these gifts? What's the purpose of these gifts? Because uh, this is perhaps the most important point. Why does the Holy Spirit choose to do things in this way? Why does God, in his wisdom, choose to do things in this way? I mean, at one level, yes, for the common good, for the building up of the church, that's absolutely right. But even more deeply in verses 12 to 31, Paul makes it clear it's to make us one. It's to unite us together. And here's where Paul introduces the metaphor of the body. And to describe church as a body, it's a, it's a brilliant metaphor. Have a look at, at, at verse 12. Uh, chapter 12, verse 12. Just as a body, though many, has many parts, but all of its parts form one body, so it is with Christ, so it is with the church. Just imagine for a moment, you can imagine uh, our, our own bodies. 
we have so many different parts to us, so many hands and feet and, and fingers and eyes and nose and mouth, and they're all doing different things, and yet we need every part. We need every single part of us. And the different parts, says Paul, are the different people in our church, in verse 12, and he's even more explicit about it in verse 27. And all the people doing different things, all doing the needed things, form together one body. So that the church is as close, as united, as dependent upon each other, as the very parts of our body. What an extraordinary picture of the closeness of church. Of how important each and every one of us is to each other. We're closer than even family. We are a body. The body of Christ. Verses 14 to 18 emphasises the wisdom of God in his arrangement. There is no place for someone to say, I don't belong, or I have nothing to do, or I have nothing to contribute. There is no place for someone to feel like they are dispensable or optional. Every part of the body needs every other part of the body and what they bring to the whole. Paul goes even further in verses 21 to 25. He sort of says that the reverse now. He says, and so no part of the body can say to another part of the body, I don't need you or you're less important. No, in fact, however small or minor or even to use the, the word that Paul uses, weak, someone's service might appear to be, in reality, it's indispensable. All are needed. Paul is, I think here, acknowledging an important point that we need to understand, and that is whatever pecking order we decide to create within our churches of different gifts and different ministries, however we perceive those different things, and yes, some do serve in less obvious ways, and the glory of some people's service is harder to see. Many people serve in unseen ways. But whatever pecking order we, we decide to create, actually all parts deserve honour. And those that we tend to ignore, well, actually they deserve special honour. But the point that Paul is making is that there ought to be no division in the church. All are needed. And the way that we do that is that as each part of the body serves and does its work. So that we might be a church that genuinely cares for one another. That genuinely loves one another. And so that each and every one of us in the particular needs that we have, whoever we are, is cared for and supported and looked after and we can grow and flourish together as one body. To even the point of verse 26... Verse 26, come there now. It's a, it's a wonderful picture in verse 26. And this is, this is the end of all this service. This is the, the, the purpose of everything, that we might be one body and that we might be so close that this might even be true of our church. In verse 26. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. This is the kind of fellowship, this is the kind of unity that God's Holy Spirit leads us to. A deep empathy 
and care and love for one another. Throughout all the circumstances of life, all of its ups and downs. That we might be a people who are so close that we celebrate each other's victories and we feel each other's pain. But that's the purpose of the gifts, to make us one, one body. To be as close as verse 26 makes, closer than even family. All parts serving, all parts contributing, and all parts loving and being loved. Now, let me just share a few things here now. Let me just try and be a little bit practical about what this means in in our church and what this can't mean for us in our church. And I've got five things, but I promise you that they're really quick. Uh, But first of all, very quickly, uh, what can't it mean for our church? Well, first of all, it means we can't be proud or arrogant. We can't be proud or arrogant. In fact, if you understand the book of 1 Corinthians, you'll understand that actually pride and arrogance was the great sin of the Corinthian church. They were a very gifted church, but they were also a very arrogant church. But we cannot take pride in our gifts as if somehow we are the one who is special. After all, when you receive a gift, when you receive any gift, you know, when you got a gift at Christmas or you get a gift for your birthday, there's two ways you can really respond, isn't there? One way is to say, wow, look how great I am that I got this gift. Look how wonderful I am that I have received this wonderful present. Or there's the other way, which is to say, well, actually, look how wonderful the giver of the gift was. Look how generous they are. Uh, Look how great they are that they chose in their love to share this with me. Which one of those two responses sounds like someone who is following in the footsteps of the Lord Jesus Christ? No, the gifts that we have are given to us by God through his Holy Spirit. And so whatever glory comes because of the gifts that we have, and I say this to you as someone who stands in front of church all the time, but whatever glory we have as someone who serves the Lord Jesus, we only have because of the gifts that we've been given. And so the glory belongs to the giver, not to the receiver. And so secondly, coming from that, we can't be jealous of other people's gifts either. There is a strong theme in this passage of God's wisdom in the arrangement. And so in verse 11, the gifts are distributed as the Spirit wills in accordance with his perfect plan. In verse 18, God has placed the parts of the body just how he wanted. And so we do need to be content with the place that God has given us, with the gifts that he has given us. Uh, We do need to realise that even though we might have done things differently, this is the way that God in his wisdom has chosen to do things. And we need to remember, therefore, actually that we're all on the same side. We're all part of of the one body. We're not somehow kind of... The person sitting next to you is not a rival business that you're competing with. And so whatever gifts they've been given, they're for your good. And whatever gifts you've been given, it's for their good. We're on the same side. And I think this is especially important because nothing undoes the unity of being one body. Nothing undoes the love and the service of one another quite like jealousy and envy and coveting. Especially if someone 
seems to be similarly gifted to you and yet somehow they seem just to sort of be, be better at it than you are or, or just seem to somehow be able to do it more effortlessly. Uh, again, let me kind of, it's easy to kind of pick on me. It's easy to use preachers as, as an example. There isn't a preacher alive on the planet who doesn't struggle with jealousy. If any preacher tells you that they don't struggle with jealousy, well, they struggle with lying. And that's a bigger problem. We all go through periods where we wish we were one of the greats, commanding the vast audiences with legions of loyal listeners to our podcasts. And yet we need to remember that if that person is preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus and the forgiveness of sins that can be found in him, then they are on the same side. They are serving the same Lord and they are bringing glory to the same master that we're seeking glory to. And so there's no room for jealousy. There's no room for competitiveness. There's no room for coveting. There's only room for love and service and doing that together to his glory. But also it does mean that we can't be consumers when we come to church. We do live in a consumer-driven society, don't we? You know, we're used to going to the concert and receiving the entertainment. We're used to going to the lecture, uh, even if it's kind of watching it afterwards online. You know, we're used to going to the lecture and, and, and receiving the education. We're used to being consumers, aren't we? We're used to receiving. But church is not like that. Church is a very different experience to the concert or to the movie or to the lecture. Because church is an experience where, yes, we come to receive, I don't want to underestimate that, but also it's where we come to give. It's where we come to serve. It's where we come to do hard things sometimes for other people, which means that that coming to church is, in many respects, it's got kind of more in common with going to work than it does with going out with a bunch of friends. There are times when coming to church is going to be hard. There are times where it is going to to, to feel like work, it's going to be painful and it's going to be tiring, it's going to be draining. And there are other times where it is going to feel wonderful and refreshing and encouraging and one of the incredible things about church is that can it be both of those things all at the same time? But that's because we're a body. That's because we're a family. And that's because that's the revolution that every single one of us needs to go through at some point in our life, that we realise that we do not come to church to be served, but to serve. We do not come to church just to receive, but also to give. And so that also means, fourthly then, that we can't doubt that we have something to offer. Every follower of Jesus has something to contribute some gift to share, some opportunity to show love. Every one of us has something to offer. There are many reasons why we may not serve, but having nothing to offer isn't one of them. And so if you decide one night, you know what, I, I, I just, I don't want to go to church tonight because, yeah, you know what, they won't miss me. I don't really have anything to add or, or, or anything to give. Uh, If you think that somehow our fellowship together as a church won't be any poorer just because you decide not to come, then you've actually misunderstood 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that we each have something to give. Now, 
don't misunderstand me. If you're sick, stay away. I don't want to catch it. Uh, in fact, I, I'll, I'll share with you a little story. Uh, I, tonight, I am plan B. Uh, actually, you are going to enjoy the, the company of Marty Ford, who is about to be one of our, our mission partners going off to Singapore. He was, he was going to be coming and speaking to you on a, on a completely different passage. And then just last night, he let us know that actually he's very, very sick and he can't talk. And so we went, okay, all right, well... Um, well, I'm very happy to be Jeff's plan B. I'm very happy to be Jeff's plan B. But, you know, so let's not be silly about this. But, but, but please, let me, un, let me say to you that actually, if you decide not to come to church, we are poorer for it. We are, are, are less because you are not here and you are not able to come and bring the particular gifts and the particular service that the Holy Spirit has given to you to share with us. Sometimes we do need a little nudge as to where to find that best place where we can serve. Yes, that's true. And often we need a a little encouragement to share what God has given us. But we all have something to share. And that you need to know, you need to remember. And so lastly then, this also means that we can't undervalue people. We can't undervalue anyone in our church. There is no one in our church who is unimportant or who isn't valuable to our life together as a church, no matter who they are. Everyone is important. I mean, every week we come to church, and it, and it is it is so easy, I know, to take people for granted, but every week we come to church and we have a room that we can meet in and the lights are on and the musicians have practised And the prayers are ready. And someone's had a go at the reading so that they know how to pronounce all of those strange names in the Old Testament. You know, there's so much work that goes into our life together as a church. And that's just to mention Sunday, let alone all the other parts of our life that are outside of our our Sunday gathering. But But all of this only happens because people are living out 1 Corinthians chapter 12. That people are serving one another in love. So we must not take people for granted. We must not become presumptuous of people's service. But instead we should be deeply thankful for the different ways in which so many of us serve each other to make our church life together possible. And we should give special honour to those that deserve it. Treating each other in love in accordance with their needs. Loving one another in accordance with, with what, what, they, what they require, that they too might be built up. Knowing that we need each other and therefore knowing that we value one another. And value the gift that the Spirit has given them. And valuing them as a person, valuing them as a brother or sister, valuing them as a fellow member of the body with whom the Holy Spirit And the Lord Jesus Christ has united me. And therefore, they are indispensable to me and to my good as a follower of Jesus Christ. What a wonderful passage. We are the body of Christ. Go and live it out. Let me pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that through Jesus you have given us the incredible gift of salvation and the forgiveness of our sins 
and a right relationship with you that lasts not only for this life but even lasts forever. And yet, Lord, that's not all that you have done for us. You have also given us your spirit. And he has given each and every one of us gifts and has welded us together to become one body, the body of Christ. We thank you for this. We thank you for the love that we have to show to one another. We thank you for the service that you've given to each and every one of us to show to one another. And we thank you for the way that we build and strengthen each other each and every day, each and every time we gather together as your people. And so we pray, Lord, help us to think deeply and and, and seriously about how we might serve each other. Help us to look for the needs, to look for the places at UniChurch where where things need to happen. Help us to to get involved in different things like O'Day. Help us to get involved with uh, all of the different parts of of service that are required to to make UniChurch happen so that we too might be useful and productive and, and contributing members to this wonderful body that you have made us part of.